Welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, coming to you live from a, a very chilly New York City today. Um, thank you all for tuning in. And I also, just as a quick reminder, want to let everyone know that all of the shows can now be found on iTunes. If you go to uh, podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, you can sign up f- and uh, for, for all the podcasts and get them automatically. Um, or you can go to iTunes and search Healthy, Wealthy, Smart in the podcast section, and you can get, uh, you can pick and choose, or you can listen to all of them, whatever you would like. Um, okay, so today um, I have on a physical therapist, and, and if you've listened to the show before, you know that we talk sometimes about specific diagnoses, we talk about specific techniques, we talk about different uh thought processes and systems and things like that. Now, today we're going to talk a little bit, we're going to look at more big picture things. So it's going to be kind of a fun show. And my guest to kind of help us through all that, he has been on the show before and he is Barrett Dorco. He is the author of over 900 published essays and he has become uh, one of the most prolific writers in physical therapy. And his status as clinician and teacher is such that he has been invited to speak at 10 national conventions of the American Physical Therapy Association, regularly regularly conducts workshops at state chapter meetings and private institutions throughout North America. And he also has a workshop on simple contact, which he has done over 200 cities since 2004. And he can also be found as a moderator on somasimple.com. And you know, again, if you've listened, how many times I tell people to go on to somasimple.com and you'll find some really uh, great debates and it just kind of opened your mind up to a little bit more. And it's not just for physical therapists, physical therapists, occupational therapists. Uh, there's massage therapist, Pilates, Alexander Technique. So, you know, it's certainly an all-inclusive site. So, Barrett, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate you having me. Great. So, like I said, you know, I had contacted Barrett a couple of weeks ago, and I said, you know, I really enjoy reading um, some of his posts, and, and a lot of them aren't necessarily physical therapy per se, but he sort of has a way of relating it back to what we do as physical therapists and as manual therapists. And so I I had emailed Barrett and I said, you know, I'd really love to talk, you know, more about that, more about your writings and more about kind of, you know, how your writings, although you bring them back to physical therapy, but I think can be really applied in, in, in a lot of uh, different professions and in life. So, so Barrett, let's, let's kind of get to it here. Um, one of the things that, that I know that I love reading and that you do is that sort of the, your use of story in therapy. So can you kind of expand upon that and, and sort of tell our listeners exactly what you do and how you do that? Yeah, I appreciate your asking. Uh, I, I struggled with story. I've been in practice for 40 years, but uh, uh, I went through a long period where I really dismissed the use of story to a large extent. Uh, I was always reminded of uh, Joe Friday and uh, the old Dragnet series where he'd say, Just the Facts Man, mm-hmm. uh, meaning he didn't want to hear a story. But... Uh, 
come across a tremendous amount of uh, wonderful literature the last 10 years, uh, beginning, I think, uh, perhaps with uh, On the Origin of Stories by uh, Brian Boyd. And I wanted to simply read a very short uh, passage from his book, uh, Fiction Extends Our Imagination, Our Imaginative Reach, so that we are not confined to the here and now, and our capacity to think beyond the here and now has made our species distinctly different. Science has improved immensely on the fictive explanations of the past, although even scientists find they cannot help but tell stories to explain causal factors. Uh, and there it is. Uh, we learn through story. We think by using story. We explain through story. But we cannot trust stories that are truthful. Uh, truthful be certain. Oh, you know something? Hold on. Oh, hold on one second here. I think we're you're breaking up a little bit on us. So hold on one second. We're going to see if we can kind of adjust things here and adjust our volume so that we can kind of hear you a little bit better. Go ahead. Try that. Just could you repeat that for us? I was talking about how that we cannot uh, always depend upon stories to be true. Much better. And in fact, the line of demarcation between fiction and truth and story often moves. Uh, what's important about stories is that they are illustrative, that they are, uh, as Farhad Manju would say, true enough, and that they uh, they have a point. This is very important for the therapist uh, who's trying to explain something difficult to their patient, and uh, you have to find the story that will fit their uh, their world. Sure, it's also and important for the therapist to listen to the patient's story. Absolutely, yeah, that definitely goes both ways, and. What would be an example of, you know, being able to explain something, let's say, to a patient using a story? I think that uh, we can draw upon numerous movies, uh, books, uh, ancient uh, myths, and uh, in in your interaction with the patient at the beginning when you enter the uh, patient's room or when you tie your tie that morning, you... You have to kind of gather this stuff together and find out which one of these might work for your patient. And you can't tell by looking at them. You have to live with them for a little while. Mm -hmm. I think that the use of uh, music in the background oftentimes can lead you toward the patient's interest. Uh, these things are, are very much individualized for the, uh, for the therapist. And the therapist's job is to figure out what the individual patient might understand, and they might understand all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite patients are those that have a wide range of things, but that's because uh, a wide range of knowledge, because that tends to match mine. This morning I wrote a blog post about the Grateful Dead. Now, as I say in the second part of this tomorrow, I, I wouldn't know a Grateful Dead song if it were coming <laughs> through my earbuds, but I, I know who the drummer was. Uh-huh. And uh, I read his book, when it first came out in 1998, I was reminded by a New York, uh, New Yorker podcast that I listened to yesterday about the group. And, you know, here we go. And a conversation I had with somebody in the late 80s about the Grateful Dead. And I, I think there's, there's probably a patient out there who can truly relate to that. I recall at my last uh, assignment, I'm a traveling therapist. Mm -hmm. There was a fellow who uh, understood a great deal about... Uh, Woodstock, the original Woodstock, 1968. Sure. Summer. 
he was going to go there, and I was able to turn this into the story of my own eldest sister and her personal relationship with uh, Richie Hayes, who sang a very important song at Woodstock. Uh, this is an example, I think, of being able to use various short, poignant, uh, pointed stories toward uh, coming to understand in full circle to what the patient's current problem is and how we might live with it together. Mm -hmm. So that eventually, as I, as I said in the past, the patient has a story about their own recovery. If they, if they leave therapy without the story of their recovery, then the therapist has failed. Right, right. Yeah, so it's sort of... And again, I know that, you know, you talk about this a lot, that sort of interactor versus operator. Absolutely. So if you're just the operator, then yes, I would think they are leaving your office several times without having a story of their recovery versus if you're more interactive with your patient. And like you said, you want to listen to their story because if you don't listen to their story, you can't build your own in order to help them. And this. This is a hard thing, and, and for my own personality variant, that has been uh, something I've struggled with. Uh, recently, somebody wrote that too often the patient leaves the clinic knowing, knowing more about the therapist than the therapist knows about them. That, that's not a good thing. Right, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true, and I think that all therapists sort of struggle with that. You know, or, or, or really most healthcare professionals, I think, may struggle with that a little bit. Um, and how, let's say if you have, you have a patient who, and everyone's had this, this patient, I'm sure, and they come into your clinic and they're very closed off, you know, they sort of sit not even turning towards you, they sort of turn away from you, they're not very talkative, they don't really give you a lot. How do you, as the therapist, how are you able to sort of pull that story out of them if they don't want to give it? I think people oftentimes uh, tell you a great deal more non-verbally than they do verbally. And this is why it's extremely important for a therapist to notice small and subtle things and to understand the significance and uh, to occasionally bring these to light in, uh, to the patient who may not even know that they're doing them. Mm -hmm. I think the context, the surroundings of the patient can resist you or not in uh, doing this sort of thing. And I, I worked recently at a facility where the copy machine for the facility, the only one in the facility was two feet away from where my patient's head would rest. <laughs> that and, must have been relaxing. I, I walked in. <laughs> And I knew I'd be there for the next three months, uh -huh. and there was nothing I could do about it. But it did give me pause. And, and my feeling is that difficult situations like this should make you a better therapist. Mm -hmm. they, you, you had better be a better therapist because you've got a lot to work with. And very difficult patients should make you a better therapist, not to make therapy more difficult. And this is where you've got to pull out the stop. You've got to... Notice nonverbal things. You've got to use music to your advantage, your body language. Uh, there's a great deal of talk these days about uh, what Daniel Day-Lewis did in the movie Lincoln. Have you seen that yet? I have not seen it yet, but Every, it, it's on my list, but I haven't seen it yet. i tell you, you know, simply the way he walked is something I've heard every commentator talk about. And uh, there's an example of how uh, someone was able to embody 
uh, what we come to understand about that man and how he truly was. He did not stride around. He walked like a laborer, like a farmer, uh, a man burdened. And that's no small thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my feeling is that uh, these things display more uh, about who we authentically and truly are than uh, they do display disability. They, uh, and it's a different perspective to have as a therapist to understand that what we see is not a display of disability, but of authenticity. Mm. And that's, again, where a story might play a role. You know, why did Jerry Garcia in The Grateful Dead play the way that he did? I've learned a lot about that the last couple of days. Uh-huh. I, it's, it's funny, there's a, uh, there's a definition in Ambrose Pierce's uh, The Devil's Dictionary, which was written about the early part of the 20th century. Uh, and oh, hellboy, by the way. Uh, he, uh, he said, uh, the definition of an ignoramus is uh, someone who doesn't know something that I learned yesterday. And I've always really liked that. It makes uh-huh. me laugh, and uh-huh. it, it reminds me that uh, too often uh, uh, I act like that. You know, because uh, now I'm an expert on the the Grateful Dead, and I I really didn't know a heck of a lot about it before yesterday. But I've, yeah. I've looked into a lot of things. And yeah, you know, the other thing I think uh, every therapist can do uh, they learn about things, and then they relate them to, to the therapeutic milieu, which is their career. You mm-hmm. would hope it would be their career. They would see a connection here. And making connections is what the story is all about. Absolutely. And and we're going to, that's a great, actually a great way to end this segment. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the writings that you've done on illusion and hallucina- hallucination. Oh my gosh, I can't speak. And delusion. Because um, those were, I think you wrote a little bit about those a couple of weeks ago. So I'd like to kind of talk about that. And what does that, what does that have to do with therapy? So everybody stay tuned and we'll be right back. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Are you concerned about the future of your business or career? Would you like it all to just be better? Well, the way to do that is through better communication. And the best way to do that is training from the team at Improving Communications. This is Larry Sharp, host of the Ivory Tower Radio Program and director at Improving Communications. Does your office need better leadership, customer service, sales, or maybe better writing or speaking skills? Could they be better at dealing with confrontation, conflicts, and touchy subjects? All are covered here at Improving Communications. If you're in the New York City area, stop by one of our public classes or get your human resources in touch with us. The website is improvingcommunications.com. That's improvingcommunications.com. 
improve your professional environment, be more effective, be happier, and make more money improving communications. That's the answer. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and I'm joined today by physical therapist Barrett Dorco. And if anyone has any questions or they would like to call in, they can do so toll-free at 877-480-4120. Okay, so before the break, I had said to Barrett that I'd really like to talk a little bit more about his writing on illusion, hallucination, delusion. What does that have to do with therapy? So go ahead, Barrett. I will give you the floor. Okay. I guess I've been thinking about this sort of thing for quite a long time. Uh, I, I commonly bellyache about the nature of uh, continuing education in uh, physical therapy and how uh, we often are asked to or obliged to practice in fashion in a fashion that in the clinic that has nothing to do with reality. And I began thinking about uh, the nature of illusion a lot ago. Illusions are things that we share. Uh, an optical illusion, for instance, would be seen by a large group of people. And even if we're made to understand why this is an illusion and how it is an illusion, we commonly have difficulty seeing it in any other way because the brain takes over. It tries to make a pattern out of things. It, it tries to make it familiar and thus the nature of illusion. A hallucination, on the other hand, is uh, something that uh, we don't share with us typically. We, uh, we hold them individually and I, what I what I concluded was that when you get other people to see your hallucination, uh, they might be deluded into thinking it actually exists. I see the body that uh, we'd like to think that it is a pile of meat or a uh, solid structure surrounded by meat, and it is neither one of these. Although this is a fairly common illusion upon which many practices are based. Uh, some therapists, whether or not they know it, have the hallucination of the body in this fashion, and they treat it accordingly. And if they are very charismatic and bright and, well, many different things that are, are successful in continuing education, uh, they will get their class see things as they do. Absolutely. And thus people will leave in a del- deluded mm-hmm. to think that uh, such, such a thing does exist. Now, this is all shored up by the uh, billing practices that have been built in there, it seems to me. Uh, we are obliged to imagine these exist the way that they don't, uh, to treat them in, in fact and that doesn't make any sense, and to document them as if they were true. 
that's that's harsh. But you know, I, I think it's probably true. Oh, hold on one second. We're because you're what's I don't know if you can hear it, but you're sort of cutting in and out a little bit. So oh, I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. Yeah, I'll just have you talk a little bit louder, and that may help. Okay. Okay. All right. So go. Sorry. Sorry about that. Go ahead. I just want to make well, sure that you know when this airs, everyone can can hear oh, you clearly sure. and everything. What I wanted to say, and what I said finally there, and I hope I can say it again, is that quite commonly we have the illusion of the body existing in a fashion that is not true. Mm -hmm. Uh, Occasionally we can get people to share our hallucination of that illusion, and they are consequently deluded into believing. And delusion always begins with the belief Mm -hmm. that such and such is the case. This is shorn up. This, the situation is shown up by the billing and uh, culture and rituals of therapy that have grown and grown during 40 years of my career. Right. And existed probably 20 years prior to that. So this is, as I say, a kind of a harsh thing to say, but uh, I think there are numerous uh, instances without becoming specific about how often this is true. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think something that you said just before, which is, you know, if this person teaching your class, whether that be a physical therapy class or any any other sort of continuing education group uh, for any profession, especially in, in sort of this, this healthcare or sort of hands-on kind of stuff, is, and this is what I've found to be, more and more true is sort of if you say it with a lot of gusto and you know you're a great speaker and people will take that and oh, yeah. without really investigating and, and thinking is this is this true is this not true you know I was watching a TV show the other day which will for now remain nameless um, but it was a, a talk show about you know all about health and, and that kind of stuff and so the 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 name of the show was how to how to stay fit after 35 and regrettably i said i'm going to watch this cuz i am over 35 um so they had this he had this guy on i don't know who he was a trainer of some sort and he said you know another thing that really helps to to keep the to keep you fit and to help keep weight off is to use a foam roller yeah and i i was like what no it doesn't and he said, no, all you have to do, you lie on it, you lie on it, you know, sort of perpendicularly to your body. So he was just rolling the thoracic spine out. And he's like, it's just like going to a chiropractor, which we know it's not. And it helps to realign your spine, which you we know, kn- know it doesn't. But the, <laughs> the, the, the talk show host, who's a doctor, was like, this is, yeah, it's, this is, that's exactly right. And I'm thinking, you're a doctor. Like, you have to know that that's not right. It's, uh, but the guy said it with gusto. A lot, uh, you know, watching uh, what the patients in the skilled nursing facilities watch on television each day. And what I really have to remember is that there's nothing personally wrong with somebody who watches Let's Make a Deal. Of course not. No, they're okay. Yeah. They, they are entertained by this, and that's what they're seeking. There's no skill involved in this game. Right. 
There are other people, however, who watch, uh, I don't know, National Geographic. And uh, they're no better necessarily at all. They're just people. They're mm-hmm. just different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be nice if our profession were populated by those people that watched National Geographic more commonly. But that tends not to be the case. My personal experience has been that uh, the therapists that I work with uh, are far more likely to know who Honey Boo Boo is and <laughs> have no idea who Ronald Melzack is. <laughs> and, and funny as that is, I, the patients pay for this. Right. They, they pay dearly. And it is really too bad. What, what I have to do is find a way in something I struggle with each day and find a way to get them actually understand or think that uh, Ronald Melzack might be an important figure, Ramachandra and Patrick Wall, right. uh, the leaders in uh, pain management and that sort of thing, and in physical therapy, who, mm-hmm. who uh, have done a, a wonderful job but not, have not been as masterful as being charis- or at being charismatic as uh, the host of Let's Make a Deal. Right. See? Right, yeah, and and you know, after I was sort of bemoaning this over the weekend, my boyfriend's father is a TV executive, and I'm like, I don't understand. Like, don't they? Like, how does this get through? And he's like, Well, why are you watching the show? Are you watching it to get pertinent information for your health? And I said, Well, yeah. And he's like, Well, why do you think most of America is watching it? And I was like, To be entertained. And he said, yes, that's right. They're watching it to be entertained. If they pick up pertinent health, then that's great. Isn't that what Sesame Street accomplished, though? Entertainment and education. Yeah, that's right. Edutainment. uh, Edutainment, I think they call it. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's a... Actually, I heard that in a movie in Drumline a couple years ago. Oh, okay. Edutainment. I learned most of what I know from watching the movies. <laughs> from watching? Well, oh, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I just saw Argo over the weekend. I know now a lot more about the Iran-Contra, or the there Iran hostage crisis, you know? But I was also, also entertained at the same time, which I have no problem with, entertainment and learning at the same time, and I think it's a great way to do it. But I just feel like your information should be correct. Oh, absolutely. You, you know, have to, you are responsible for defending it. That's right. That's right. And that's yeah, where and my problem was with this don't. whole foam roller realigned your back thing. And I'm like, what? If you wrote him an email, he wouldn't answer. I know. I know. I thought and, about that. And this has always been the case. It's a lot easier for people to hide these days. Uh, we used to, you know, well, uh, the Internet's a double-edged sword. It's a lot harder to hide. It's a lot harder uh, to get a hold of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, both of these things are true because the world is different. Right. It's not worse. It's not better. It's, it's just, just different. different. I showed my sister a bunch of pictures from Thanksgiving on my phone yesterday. Yeah. So I couldn't have done that five years ago. Nope. So there you go. Nope. Yeah. No, good and bad. But, you know, I think... Absolutely. I think that, you know... It, Getting back to, you know, your your writings on illusion, hallucinations, delusions, and, and all that kind of stuff, and, and you know, learn, go, so going to these continuing education, I think you wrote in one post that there was, uh, a you know, a thought leader, 
in in physical therapy, and he was did something with his teeth that sort of made a sound like a cavitation or a pop or something, and everyone was like, (gasps) He did it right in the microphone, holding his lips closed. He clinked his jaws together, and everybody thought they had manipulated something. Right. I know better. Right, right. So that's sort of that. I thought that was a really good example of that illusion, you know? Takes a lot of guts because you can get caught. Yeah. Uh, But uh, people doing such things usually have an out Mm -hmm. of some sort, and and any good magician will. Mm -hmm. Which which would lead us, I guess, to uh, another question you had about my fascination with magic. I did, and and that that does lead right into it, and we are going to do it right after this commercial break. So, good good, uh, tie-in there. Good segue. (laughs) So we'll be back right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, I'm Dana. And I'm Don. We are certified mediators. And I am a family and couples licensed therapist and author of Please Don't Buy Me Ice Cream. Our show, New Beginnings, is about helping you and your family recover financially and emotionally and start the beginning of your life. We'll answer your questions on divorce, family court, co-parenting, personal development, new relationships, blending families, and more. Dana and I will bring you to a place of empowerment and belief that even though marriages may end, families are forever. Join us every Monday starting September 10th at 10 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. Again, I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by Barrett Dorco. He's a physical therapist and and really prolific writer. Writes a lot on somasimple.com, and he also has a website, barrettdorco.com. So, Barrett, before we 
made our commercial break there, we sort of started to get into talk about magic. So I know that you have a great interest in magic and its relationship to neuroscience. So let's talk about that. Yes, I, uh, I've been writing about that for a long time. Uh, most recently, a uh, book published, I believe, two years ago called The Slights of Mind, written by two neuroscientists, uh, a married couple from California, speaking about the nature of illusion and uh, traveling around the world talking to various and sundry mag- magicians about what they do, uh, really brought this more so to the fore. Uh, I heard uh, Teller, uh, a pen and Teller, uh-huh. in a, I didn't hear about it, I read about him in an interview uh, recently, and he talked to, someone asked him about the relationship mm-hmm. of uh, neuroscience and magic, and, and he said a very interesting thing. He said that uh, neuroscience is today mining the uh, topsoil at the bottom of the mountain that magicians have built. And and this really struck me. Uh, magicians understand a great deal more about our perception mm-hmm. and have understood it for uh, several hundred years. Uh, prior to its explanation via neuroscience, but these things meld together quite well. I wrote a piece, a very popular uh, thread on Soma Simple called uh, Manual Magic a while ago, mm-hmm. and I wanted to read just a short passage sure. from the book, uh, The Prestige. Uh, you may recall this was a book made into a movie starring Ed Norton uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, what I did was read the book, watch the movie uh, at the same time and uh, wrote the thread uh, through what I learned there. And uh, Michael Caine, the actor, is at one point describing the three things that a magician does. Mm -hmm. And they sounded very much like what any therapist would do in a successful encounter an interaction with the patient. And the, the part of it that really struck me was called the pledge, the first of the three things. The pledge is written of in this fashion. There almost invariably comes a moment during the exercise of my profession when the illusionist will seem to pause. He will step forward to the footlights and in the full glare of of their light will face the audience directly. He will say, or if his act is silent, he will seem to say, look at my hands. Mm -hmm. There is nothing concealed within them. He will then hold up his hands for the audience to see, raising his palms to expose them, splaying his fingers so as to prove nothing is gripped secretly between them. It is established that his hands are indeed as empty as it is possible to be. Uh, to me, the yes is the essence of manual care, that at some point you, you have to display to the patient in as many ways as possible that they are safe. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But you're not going to poke them. You're not going to hurt them. You're not going to threaten them. You, you have to do this in many ways. And it begins, of course, with your attention to the patient's presence. And this is the kind of thing that you often see lacking because nobody gets paid to pay attention to their patients any longer. You have to pay attention, and you have to notice how the patient is responding to that attention and whether or not you're showing an empty hand or a non-threatening manner, and both Mm -hmm. of these things are important. Mm -hmm. This is how you begin. Then go ahead and do what they call the turn. You turn an ordinary thing uh, into something extraordinary. I can make a card appear from an evidently empty hand. Mm Mm-hmm. I can do that. And I don't do that by uh, making a card appear, but rather by removing a secret cover. And I make it very clear to the patient that this is what I'm doing. And 
when you handle a patient, you remove the cover of the culture that has held them in a painful position. Mm -hmm. I think you can probably appreciate that. Mm -hmm. You have to do this in a non-threatening manner. You can't order people to do it. You can't coerce them, uh, strengthen them toward that position. You have to somehow let them begin to behave in a non-cultural fashion. In in my work, that would be idiomotion. Mm -hmm. And they can find that they, they possess what they need, that the card, in effect, is already there. They can make it appear. And then uh, there is the third thing in the movie and in the book called the prestige. And this, to me, is when you make the patient do this in your absence, when you somehow rather convince them that this is possible to do in the absence of therapy so that they learn the story of their own recovery and they are able to display them to themselves again and again how it is they've recovered by learning. And, and of course, not every patient I see certainly is educable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a great gift, and through no through no fault of their own, they're not educable. But uh, there are other ways to educate people aside from uh, verbally. This is uh, this is to me it's it's all about uh, silent magic and uh, how much they have to teach us about what neuroscience has come to understand in terms of our perceptions. And you know, going back to the first part of of the three uh, segments, so the, the pledge the part. Pledge. Um, I think it's important to kind of restate that you want to enter into your interaction with the patient in that sort of non-threatening way. Extremely important. Um, and, and that's everything from how you walk into the room to yes. where you sit, to your demeanor, to how you ask questions, and then finally to if you even put your hands on that patient on that very, let's say it's the first time you see them. Yeah. You know, you don't necessarily have to put your hands on the patient the first time you see them. If you, you don't feel like they are going to respond to it. Right, that's right. Because you don't want to initiate that sort of sympathetic nervous system response within them where, you know, you, you get the sweaty palms, the heart rate goes up, this goes up, and then all that input then goes back into their system. It could create them more pain, and you know something? They're not going to come back to you. That's very true. And uh, this will continue to happen to me occasionally until I die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Therapists have to understand that yeah. they're, they're occasionally wrong. I. I've written recently about Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. who you know is a fascinating character to many of us, and there continues to be. And in fact, there's a new NBC series. I think it is uh, Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's called Elementary. I once read, uh, and it wasn't long ago, about how we know that Sherlock Holmes never actually existed. Okay. He was never wrong. Yeah, that's true. He was never wrong. So he couldn't have existed. Right, because right. Because human beings can be wrong. That's right. And the day you're not wrong, or you don't think that you're wrong anymore, well, that's that's a pretty sad day. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, and therapists can be wrong, too, but uh, we should be less less wrong, you see. Mm-hmm. And that's what science is for. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, science, all knowledge in science is provisional, and it's important for us to always remember that, always. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree 100%. Um, 
I'm just taking in everything that you're saying. So I'm kind of like sitting here silently nodding. Um, But I'm definitely, I'm just taking in and thinking, yes, yes, that's exactly right. Now, okay, let's go back to, so you have the pledge, and then you have this sort of showing your, what do they call it? The, where you're, you're showing, um, you're making that card appear. So turn is something that ordinary things do in an extraordinary way. Right. So let's go, you know, kind of how you said earlier about sort of that idiomotion and, and getting patients to understand that this motion exists, I guess, with, I, uh, within them. I can return easily to what we talked about in terms of story a while ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, our commonly what the, what the patient and I have in common is our understanding of poker and how the primary skill of the poker player is to never be themselves, mm-hmm. to continually hide what it is they're thinking by holding their body as still as possible. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the more robotic they become, the more inauthentic, the better they play. Okay. I've never, I've never talked to a patient about this, and it doesn't matter whether or not they play poker because they've lived a life. They understand that can't be a good thing. Mm-hmm. I have stories about the Amarillo Slim, who won the first World Series of Poker back in the 70s, and how he discovered something about one of his opponents in the restaurant before they played. And to me, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful example of how this poker player, not Amarillo, but his opponent, couldn't be themselves even in the restaurant. Because hmm. that would reveal something about the way they normally answered questions. Right, right. There's nothing good about this, and uh, people don't want it. They want to be individuals. They want to shift in their chair when they are asked to. They don't want to be told to hold themselves at attention. You can build upon all of this and and talk about how we are built in a fashion to self-correct. We are constantly in motion to Mm -hmm. some extent, Mm -hmm. but the culture would rather we were still. Uh, Everybody knows that. A very small child will entertain you with their motion. Yeah. Unexpected. Until one day, someone says, sit still. Sit still. Don't move. Yeah. Yeah. And and I understand about control and how important it is. On the other hand, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. This this is all becomes a story Mm -hmm. that the patient can often contribute to. Oh, I remember this one time. And how much ritual plays a role here, how we aren't supposed to move in certain circumstances, and mm-hmm. our tolerance for motion and mm-hmm. non-motion. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Right. And uh, I'm talking about moving naturally, which, of course, is a big buzzword uh, and something <laughs> some of these show comments. I think if you, if you were to approach the people on TV that you saw the other day yes. with the word natural, they'd light up. Right. Yeah, they love that. or or authentic the hand, also. They use it willy-nilly, and we use it to describe how things actually are. Right, right. That yeah, sales point. you know, and I think bringing it back to, let's say, what maybe we would see in, in the clinic or, or what the patient may experience is, or even I can just talk from my own experience, let's say you have neck pain, well, you're not, you're going to be as stiff as you possibly can be. Because of this fear of if I move my neck, it's going to hurt. 
If I move my back, it's going to hurt. If I move my shoulder, my knee, what have you, it's going. So I'm going to try and, and stay as stiff as possible and keep my muscles as tense as possible, especially talking about low back, you know, the tighten the core sort of thing. Instead of being able to freely move in and out of a neutral position, which is is sort of more of a, a natural, shall we say, movement, is to be able to have control to move in and out of, of a neutral position versus important. always being stuck in it. Yeah, that's why context is so important. Mm-hmm. And that includes the therapist not marching around the department like a soldier, mm-hmm. uh, but rather creating an environment that allows naturally occurring motion to emerge, defining it, uh, giving examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, letting the patient show you an example that they didn't know previously had existed. This is where you can throw, you, know, you can call upon the uh, the stories of magic. Mm-hmm. Magicians have a saying I always like to use: though, if you want to hide something, put it in a book. <laughs> and and all of this, all of this information is available in numerous wonderful books. I, I, when I traveled teaching, I would carry a pile of books with me, mm-hmm. and. Somebody would invariably come up and say, which one of these should I read first? Mm-hmm. What I hear them say is, I might read one of these. You better pick out the right one for me to open. Right. And if not, then I'm going to be upset with you because you gave me the wrong book to read. I never helped them. Yeah. Well, they have me to blame now. Right, right, right. And, and I'm starting to bellyache again, but this is, this is the world we've inherited as therapists. Mm-hmm. And changing that, I think... And I'm sure a lot of people would agree with me. It begins to change in the schools, but yeah. uh, my contact with the academic community has been nil. Mm-hmm. Twenty years, uh, uh, all the time I've been on the internet, they show no interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazingly, and of course, if you can change that, Karen, please be my guest. <laughs> well, you <laughs> I'd know, love to see uh, that change. we sort of I started a small group of therapists here in New York that we get together once a month, and we actually have two professors coming to this group and and sort of talking about what you know what are you teaching and and a lot of what this group talks about is pain science and neuroscience and and you know mosley and butler and 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 melzak and you know the whole whole thing and and wondering you know what what are you teaching at school you know what the the last debate was are you teaching posture like plumb line posture and everything has to line up everything has to be which we know doesn't yeah because we are not perfectly symmetrical creatures um and and is this being taught and how is it being taught and and the one professor said that you know of course, yes, we're teaching posture to our first years. He's like, and then, but then when they come to second year, we sort of wipe, try and wipe that clean and teach them more, you know, movement-based positions. You know, it, it, I'm as far as from being a professor as you can imagine. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I know. We were like, oh, and he even said, you know, it doesn't make any sense, but right now this is the way the program is set up. And, and they will return typically to the hard rock foundation right. of uh, therapy education and blame that. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's a good, uh, well, it's an excuse. I don't know whether or not it's the reason. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting, and, and, you know, I'll certainly 
keep you updated as to our little our meetup groups. But it's nice to have these professors there and to kind of see what they are, like what is being taught and, and what is, you know, kind of coming up through. I know we have a student as well, and she said that, you know, they are doing pain science, which is something I never got in school. Uh, you wonder what she means by that, though. Yeah, yeah. I, as you know, I'm going to be in uh, Manhattan at the end of March. Right. Bring some of those professors out with us after class. <laughs> That's you. That is the best time to kind of get <laughs> get all the right juicy info. There. Yeah. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. Um, and listen, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to kind of wrap it up a little bit. Great. Um, so everyone, stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at monty at montytaylor.com. That's monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at montytaylor.com. Talking Alternative Radio. 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by Barrett Dorco, physical therapist. And Barrett, there's actually a caller with a question for you. Wonderful. So we have Ken from Illinois is on the line. Ken? Hi, Barrett. Hi, Karen. Hi. Hi, Ken. Ken Jakowski calling from Lyle, Illinois, the track and field capital of the Midwest. Uh I've got a question for Barrett. Sure. It seems like muscle strength really is a prescriptive approach for many therapists and trainers. I know we've talked about that on Soma Simple. Uh, what's your take on the core stability cures all meme? This doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. I appreciate you calling, Ken. Uh, the big push toward core stability began with a study done in Australia years ago that seemed to show a very strong correlation between backache and the firing of the multifidus muscle. Since then, 
Paul Hodges, the man who did the original study, has uh, very much decried the conclusions drawn by a lot of people that seem to provide for many, many thousands of uh, people the uh, idea that if you strengthened your so-called core, which to my knowledge does not actually exist as a, as a thing, that uh, you'd feel better. That an entire industry is built up around this. And that being the case, the infrastructure of the industry itself will keep it from changing. Uh, this the, the infrastructure and uh, uh, people around it, uh, the money that mm -hmm. is invested in it, will keep such things going. I, As usual, I heard, uh, I was listening to the commercials during the break, and there was a, an astrologer advertising on this on this wonderful radio network and i have no problems with that mm -hmm. it is it is magic and we need to understand that people because they're people want such things it, it would be nice if it were that easy on the other hand if, if such things lead you toward a greater identification of who you are and why you are the way you are well that's fine too mm -hmm. a lot of people stop short and I think many, many of the people who have uh, invested their time in the core strengthening idea stopped way short as soon as they started making uh, a sense of their living on this. Mm -hmm. But they are, I used to make sense out of manipulating necks. That was me back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to me anymore. I abandoned it. Uh, some people never, never will. And that's probably why I'm sitting at home today and somebody else is making a lot more money <laughs> while doing something else. And, you know, which is fine with me. That's perfectly fine. But uh, there it is. Yeah, and, you know, I saw, I just heard Paul Hodges speak in Oregon last month. Uh -huh. And he spoke to this and he made it a point of saying, yes, you need to, the patient needs to be able to strengthen multifidi, strengthen transversus abdominis, you know, but it goes so far beyond that, you know, and, oh, yeah. and, and you know, I, and he really made it a point of saying that it's not just you need strength, you need control, you need, you need your nervous system, you need your, you know, your thought process, everything. It's not just strengthen your core and your back pain goes away or strengthen your core and you're a faster runner, perhaps in How this case. To liken Paul Hodges to Dr. Frankenstein, <laughs> whose monster grew out of control. Right, right. That's just the way my mind works, you know. I, I, I just occurred to me. Right, but like even next thing you know, somebody's going to say I'm. I'm going to say that I've said Paul Hodges was a monster. Right. <laughs> this is what people All over the internet. But no, yeah. you know, what we're saying is, you know, Paul Hodges, like you said, freely says, like, listen, this is important, but it's not the end-all, be-all. Yeah. You know? Why do people stop listening? Yeah, and, and that's right. People just heard core strengthening, and he's like, no, no, wait, but there's, you know, A, B, C, and D that also has to be included. And, and you know, I think... W Anyway, it's for another discussion. We have like two minutes to go here, but um, it, it could be one minute. It could be a whole other discussion on, on the stuff that Paul said, but, um, you know, I think, and, and Barrett, I'm sort of with you on this, is that core stability isn't going anywhere because a whole multi-billion dollar industry depends on it. Yeah. So, so, so there you go. Ken, I don't know if that 
you know, gets gets to to your question. I hope it does. And I want to thank you, Shirley, for calling in today. And I want to thank Barrett for coming on the show. And, of course, we always run out of time way too quickly. The hour goes by so fast. Um, But... Thank, Barrett, thank you so much for, for taking the time out and coming on again, and I really appreciate I it. And Ken, thank you so much for calling in, and you know, I also enjoy reading your posts on Soma Simple as well. well thanks, <laughs> guys. Thank you very much. Barrett, we'll see you, and Karen, bye-bye now. Okay, bye. Barrett, thanks so much for calling in, and, and um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to have more shows like this in the future and get more talk and debate going. Um, around things in the physical therapy world that maybe people don't think are in the physical therapy realm. Exactly. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And everyone, thanks for tuning in, and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, I'm Dana. And I'm Don. We We are are Certified certified Mediators. mediators. And I am a family and couples licensed therapist and author of Please Don't Buy Me Ice Cream. Our show, New Beginnings, is about helping you and your family recover financially and emotionally and start the beginning of your life. We'll answer your questions on divorce, family court, co-parenting, personal development, new relationships, blending families, and more. Dana and I will bring you to a place of empowerment and belief that even though marriages may end, families are forever. Join us every Monday starting September 10th at 10 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. This is Tony Martinetti, the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Technology, fundraising, compliance, social media. Small and medium nonprofits have needs in all these areas. My guests are expert in all these areas and more. Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern, on Talking Alternative Broadcasting. Are you fed up with talking points rhetoric? Everywhere you turn, it's left or right spin, ideology, no reality. In fact, it's ideology over intellect. No more. It's time for the truth. Join me, Larry Sharp, a.k.a. The Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 Eastern, for the Ivory Tower Radio Program. In the Ivory Tower, we'll discuss what's important to you, society, politics, business, and family. It's provocative talk for the realist and the skeptic who want to know what's really going on, what does it mean, and what can be done about it. So gain special access to the Ivory Tower 
listen to me, Larry Sharp, your Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11, New York time. Go to ivorytowerradio.com for details. That's ivorytowerradio.com. The Ivory Tower is a great place to visit for both entertainment and education. Listen in, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11. It will make you smarter. TalkingAlternative.com 